like adding length to create a championship course is just so backwards, you know, like to, yep. to difficulty. It, all it does is just favors the long hitters more and more. Yeah. It's, it's... The places that where it makes sense to do that is to do it, um, is to do it where, you know, there's a lo- already a long, difficult hole. Mm-hmm. And it's already a three-shot hole for somebody. You know, adding 40 yards to a 350-yard hole only makes uh, a medium, you know, par four that is impossible for the average guy to get to regularly. And yeah. still a wedge for the better player. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today we're joined by Mike DeVries, uh, one of today's forefront architects. Um, he's designed great golf courses such as Cape Wickham, Kingsley Club, Gray Walls, and also some, some nice public courses such as Pilgrim's Run, and also done some very high-profile um, restorations such as the Meadow Club out in San Francisco area. Mike, welcome on. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, uh, looking forward to being a part of the show. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to talk architecture. Uh, these conversations always get into deep and dark rabbit holes. Well, so that's good. It's, uh, it's a passion um, that I've grown up with since I was a kid, and um, I'm just lucky I get to do it uh, every day. Yeah, so I so usually how I like to start these is I, I'm always curious about how you got in and to architecture and when you knew that you wanted to be an architect. So so you've had this passion since you were a kid. Yeah, my grandfather taught me the game when I was six or eight years old, and um, so I was I just was immediately attracted to golf. Uh, it was something that I did with my maternal uh, grandparents and uh, and an uncle who was a really good player. He was a scratch player. And uh, so I would uh, hit balls in the front yard. That was the first kind of thing that we did. And then uh, I would follow them around, and wherever my my uh, uncle would finish near the green, I would, like, put my ball down and chip or putt or whatever he was doing and, you know, try and do what he did. And um, I would follow them uh, to their lessons or anything like that. And, um, and then there was a little nine-hole golf course near me, uh, Frankfurt Golf Club, um, where ultimately they would, you know, someone would drop me off and I'd play nine holes with whoever was available. And um, and then when I was a little older, my, my grandparents were members at Crystal Down, so I was fortunate to be um, near that and to experience that from an early age. And um, certainly that's one of the great courses in the world. And, and um, I was able to, you know, learn about golf uh, there. And then, um, when Fred Muller came in, the, the pro at the Downs, longtime pro there, he's been there 41 years um, now. He, um, I started working for Fred in the pro shop when I was 14, and then uh, a couple of years later, I was working in the pro shop and on the grounds crew during the week. So 
every day of the summer I was, I was on the golf course doing something, um, whether that was working, you know, moving bags or getting carts or mowing greens and, um, and or going back and, you know, playing golf in the late afternoon or something. So, um, it was something that was, was really quite passionate. And when I was 17, I kind of figured, you know, breaking bunkers, I kind of figured out that Crystal Downs was a lot more special than just the regular Joe Blow Muni or whatever mm-hmm. that I played back in Grand Rapids where I, where I grew up, um, you know, went to school and stuff. And so uh, I just, you know, it was always there. It was always something that I really, really enjoyed and um, it was something that was, uh, you know, part of my life and my family and all of that. And then uh, when I finished undergrad, I was, I was a business major and uh, did something else, worked for Herman Sporting Goods and figured out their mission and life and mine were kind of going in opposite directions. And I was getting married back up in Frankfurt. I came back to the golf course, did some projects uh, on, the, on, the, uh, on the golf course for the superintendent and figured out that's really what I wanted to do. And Tom Doak at that time was, was building High Point, his first solo design over in Traverse City. And my former boss on the grounds crew at the Downs was the project manager. So I went over there and I met Tom. And um, when I got back from uh, camping for my honeymoon, I uh, went and helped them finish and clean up uh, High Point and then worked with Tom for about two and a half years uh, on a couple different projects down in Myrtle Beach, the Heathlands course at the Legends Complex. And then I came back up to Michigan in the Black Forest mm-hmm. golf course uh, near Gaylord. We, uh, I ran that project uh, for him, and then we didn't have another project to go to. And that's when I went back to school and I got my master's in landscape architecture from the University of Michigan. And then I worked for, uh, for Tom Fazio's group. They needed somebody on a, on a couple projects as a design associate. And so I did that for about 15 months out in, in Hudson, at Hudson National in New York and the Cordier Valley Club in Vail, Colorado. And then since then, I've I came back to Michigan and I've been doing my own stuff for the last 20 plus years. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. You got to, I, I've heard a, a lot of stories. I've been meaning to get up to black forest and you know, you, it, when you look back at, at the crew that you guys had there, it was, it was Tom yourself and, and Gil hands. Um, and I, uh, it, I mean, talk about three pretty impressive guys for a three man crew. Yeah, um, there were a few other helpers too, but <laughs> but um, um, it was it was it was uh, it was a great uh, a great project. It was super fun. All we you know we were just talking about golf shots all the time, and we were all young. We were all not very different in age and things, and so uh, it was a great opportunity uh, just to talk about you know what we were trying to do and how to how to best make it work and. And uh, sometimes we'd try something and just, you know, see how it would work and it would evolve into something else. And so, um, you know, that was a really awesome experience. And, um, you know, it was a, you know, they're lifelong friends and, and guys that, you, you know, they're, everybody's doing really good work still to this day and mm-hmm. trying stuff. And um, so it was, uh, it was quite a good experience. Yeah, so I've always I'm always curious about uh, when you're on site what you guys are are doing on on the downtime. I, I mean, is it is it just all golf all the time? Uh, yeah, well, 
well on site there's not much downtime you're yeah. really you know you're building and when you have good weather you know it depends where you're at in the country but if you're in the north um you know you're building whatever you can build during that time frame so there isn't a lot of downtime you're on site you know all day you're not playing golf you're but you're talking about golf or you're playing a little dirt golf just hitting shots here and there just to sort of get a feel for something maybe mm-hmm. um so uh it's it's uh you're you're constantly you know i mean still to this day constantly thinking about what the shots would be when you're building in the dirt or how that's working or what if we shifted this or moved this and uh you know how do you how do you deal with you know you come up you always run into stuff whether it's a new course or or an old course you know old courses when you're doing renovation or restoration type work you run into old infrastructure you know a lot of stuff underground whether that's old irrigation drainage um it could be drainage that's not even from the golf course it could be an old stone drain from a farm 150 years ago or something mm-hmm. and it's probably in water so there's a lot of things that are that are really different and you have to you know i think all the above mentioned guys you know tom gill myself ben and bill um those you know we're we're in the field because we believe that's important to be able to make those decisions uh and and to do that in a you know in a real-time manner and to sort of be able to assess it and think about you know what's the best solution for that what's the most practical way to do that mm-hmm. i i imagine i i know one of your courses gray walls is is way up in the upper peninsula of michigan and like you mentioned it you know with the northern the time constraints. Do you feel a little bit more pressure when you're designing a course in an area that that only has a you know a finite amount of of time when you can really move dirt around? And and that I'm really curious about that project in general. Yeah, well, we we had a uh, we had a great uh, team that was involved there. So um, we had a superintendent, Pete Chevrette who ran the project for the club and they have an, they have an, they had an existing golf course, 18 holes, nine holes that had been built in 26 by William Langford, which is really good. Mm-hmm. And then 40 years later, they added another nine holes in the midst. David Gill came in and did that, not following Langford's original routing, but then um, um, somewhat close, you know, in the same area, some of the, some of the land had been used for some, housing and things like that so he couldn't use it all or follow follow Langford's routing uh and that golf course they were in Marquette Michigan they were doing 35 to 40,000 rounds a year on that it's a a very busy place and and they love their golf and they they have really long days in the summer and so they they play and play and play and play as much as they can so you know they they're very active people in the you know, all seasons um, up there, they're outdoors. And uh, because they have such long daylight, they'll do, they have, they have uh, men's and women's leagues and things in, uh, within the club. And they'll do 200, they'll have 200 rounds after five o'clock at night, just because, you know, people will work the whole day and then they'll go out and play their league. Oh my God. So it's, it's busy. We call it the factory for short. <laughs> um, but we, um, so the, the Graywalls project, um, we had uh, Pete Chevrette. He was he ran, he was sort of the project manager for the club, and then we had a, a company out of northern out of Ashland, Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin called Northern Clearing, and 
um, they're really experienced with moving big, big piles of dirt, um, rock. Uh, they do a lot of things involved with power lines and, you know, clearing in the middle of nowhere. And so it was excellent to have them as a team. They also, they've, they've built about 20 or 30 golf courses also. So they have a whole nother division that deals with golf. So we had guys that were experienced and, and knew what was going on there. And then we had a, um, an irrigation guy out of Minnesota, Steve, who was, um, was really phenomenal. So there were, there were a lot of pieces that had to go together and you're right. It's a short season and you can get hit with weather and you want to get grass in the ground and planted. And, um, so it was, it was fairly accelerated that way. We did clearing late fall and early spring. And then really the construction was done in one season, which is, um, pretty amazing considering it's a very rugged site, but we didn't, we worked around the rock that was there and we have a lot of really good sand on site. Mm -hmm. So the soils are really quite excellent. Um, good, good growing medium. And, um, superintendent that's there now craig moore was he he took care of the um the old golf course when we were building and he also had worked at the kingsley club under dan lucas um for a number of years so he's a very very good superintendent and he's he's he pete when pete chevrolet left um craig took over the uh came back up to marquette and and has been the superintendent there really almost from day one so um really it's a good arrangement and they do an excellent job how with uh whether you're doing a restoration or renovation or building a new course how important is the uh relationship and with the super and and really getting them involved it's critical it's really critical uh if you know if, if you're constantly butting heads with somebody that's going to take care of the golf course then what you're trying to build is not going to not going to be carried out because mm-hmm. uh, you know they may think oh well you know I want to do it this way and that might not um, that might not be the vision that you know you're sort of portraying for the golf course mm-hmm. so you know getting to know that person and you know working with them on a day to day basis and all that's really important um, one so that you can kind of help to explain what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to do as well as knowing that then they're going to be able to take that direction and they're going to they're going to maintain it the way that you would like it to be maintained and if they have a question they'll call you and talk to you about it so it's it's really it's really important i think um it leads to a better product and it and then you know it's a team job every job is you know there's a big team it's not just me there's a lot of people that are involved um, with the project, and um, and that person's really critical. Mm-hmm. It's um, yeah, I imagine. Do you keep in touch with your old projects and your you know the the superintendents from the old projects uh, with with some sort of regularity or? Yeah, fairly, uh, fairly, fairly often. Depends on the situation. You know, not as much as you'd like. You gotta got to do other you got to do new stuff you got to do new work you got to keep paying the bills so yeah uh-huh but yeah. um but yeah it's important to you know hey what's what's happening how's it going kingsley club is 20 minutes from my house so you know i'm there a lot and uh and it's a special place it was really the first um 
completely solo job that I did. So, you know, it's a wonderful, amazing golf course. Um, the ownership's been fantastic. The superintendent, Dan Lucas, uh, has been there from the beginning and built the golf course with me. So, um, so we see each other regularly if I'm in town and I'm, you know, I'm going to play a game or something, I'm probably going out there and that, um, you know, so we're always seeing stuff and this and that and trying to make sure that, that we're staying, you know, on track with stuff. And then Ed Walker, the owner, has been fantastic. And, you know, he has things about, um, want to improve or you know change this or that little bits you know do we need to add a bunker here or there or something um they've added some cabins over the years and things like that so so um he's always uh you know very involved and um has been from the beginning and that's that's been a great relationship yeah so um one of our listeners tim ragones asked about the process of laying out kingsley club but i'm just uh in speaking more generally how do you go about routing a golf course once you once you win a project and and figuring out how the how the holes are going to work together and what holes are going to be what? I'm... Well, for me, uh, first of all, you just got to become, you know, really familiar with the, with the property, mm-hmm. and you have to figure out um, what's going on. You know how do, how does the how does it feel on the ground? You can't just you know I can read topo maps and squiggly lines really well but um every topo map i've ever seen also has you know errors on it so so um and there's stuff that's that's on topo maps that gives you the general broad thing but there's always little bits and pieces that you have to be there and in the field to see so when you're going around and you know you know that there's a, a knoll over here or this valley or something like that and um, if you're going around and depending on the property, how open it is or how treated it is, et cetera, uh, maybe you're making notes of, um, the transition from maybe this environment to the next environment, or wow, there's a really good grove of, you know, oak trees or maple trees or pine trees, or maybe there's one, there's one big tree there and stuff like that. So you're trying to become really intimate with the property and the land. Um, and you're trying to find golf holes that naturally fit into the land. At least I'm trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, with regards to, you know, specifically Kingsley and talking about that, the question there. So uh, it was, it is, the property had been clear cut about 15 years before we were on site. And so there was a lot of regrowth of just a thicket of choke cherry, fire cherry, and, aspen trees and it was i mean you couldn't even walk through lots of it it was just impenetrable great grouse cover and you know bird hunting cover but mm-hmm. and then there were a few areas where there were like brambles and um you know more of you know like wild raspberries or blackberries and stuff like that um and you know a few trees left over here and there um so you could see some of the stuff, but a lot of the ground you couldn't. So you kind of had, there were some trails going through and you had to kind of um, get used to that and get, get a feel for that. And um, it's, just, it's severe property in, in areas. And so it was hard to figure some of the stuff out. One of the holes that I first saw isn't actually a hole on the golf course, but it was a really, really cool short par five that played for people that know the golf course 
third hole, the middle of the third hole on the left side of the fairway. Um, if you played a hole from there back across number four in the ridge in number two to where the back tee on number six is, that's a, it's about a 500-yard hole, and it's, it's a really cool, you know, there's all these ups and downs and, you know, little ridges and spots and bowls and things like that. And uh, would have made it really interesting, uh, challenging for you know for a better player to hit it too. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, like you could plot out three shots and you know really try and place your ball and get in position and things like that. The only problem with that is it's a great hole. It just didn't work with anything else, and it chopped up a lot of things. So instead, um, you know what happened is we had this what I call the South 40, which is that area down there. It's about 40 acres uh, where you have the ridge on number two down to, um, you know, where 7T, 6 green, and 4T, and 3 green are. It's all this big area surrounded this this deep sinkhole in the middle of 2, 4, and 6. And so instead of one great hole, this par 5 that we found right away, we have a really, really cool little ridge top par 3. We have a you know, two par fours, one a little bit longer than the other, that tumble and bumble kind of on ground that um, heaves and gives and leaves you with a shot. But sometimes you're going to have a blind shot into the green if you go into one of the bowls, and sometimes you're going to be on top of the ridge. Uh, and then five is a you know, paralleling. It's kind of um, off to the side of this south 40, but plays an entirely different opposing par three to number two into a big punch bowl green. And then you have six across um, and around the, the the deep sinkhole, and then seven leaves that in a in a, in a dramatic fashion with the, with the downhill drive and stuff into an area that is enclosed instead of being totally wide open and seeing all these other holes. So we gave up this one really cool par five, mm-hmm. so we we got five to six you know really good holes out of it because of how we could utilize that land. So that was one of the things of, you know, um, that particular question the guy was asking about laying out Kingsley was trying to figure out how those those puzzle pieces fit together. And that applies yeah. to any, any sort of project that you're doing. I, so it's, you probably walk, so you walk the land and you, you obviously you see, you see it all the time. Like I'm, I'm driving down the road and I look and I'm being like, I, I'd see, um, man, that would be a really great golf hole. And I imagine that happens with you more so than me, but you walk this land and you identify some of the, the golf holes you like the most, but you, you can't be married to them because when you try and put the whole to get, puzzle together, you know, some of those are going to, you're going to lose some of those holes almost all the time, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You've got to find, to me, it's not about one great hole. It's about the sequence of holes and how holes transition from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that, okay, so kind of figured out the South 40, which is in the corner of 400 acres. Uh, but how do we get to that? Or how do we, use that as a beginning or ending or how does that transition with other stuff well the hard part at kingsley was east of that east of the east of the front nine um is a big wetland down there that isn't um easy to work around doesn't necessarily make for a great golf it's environmentally sensitive so transitioning that way was difficult 
um, can't go south off the property, can't go west off the property, so you got to go north. And then how do you how do you do that? How do you transition that? And so seven, you know, ultimately ended up being um, a simpler part of that problem because we didn't want to climb seven back up to the T. That that wouldn't make for a very good hole. Mm-hmm. So leaving the property there was was an easy way to think about it eight kind of fell into place because of just really cool ground and a great green site at the base you know that little raised platform that the green is there there was a shelf there on that hill and so there was shaping involved but um you know that a lot of that was kind of in place and the and the big bunker in the middle of the fairway there was a mound there and the ridge was there where the what we call the three amigos on the on the drive they were there so all those kind of tied together mm-hmm. and um nine kind of set up so um with the par three and having um, two different angles and stuff those those areas were just there all we did was flatten off the tops of those ridges and and little bumps and stuff and made a tee so that was that was a you know kind of simple the hard thing was what do, how do we how do we get out there yeah so, how do you lead and so ultimately that ended up being do we do that in like two holes um (laughs) or do we do it in one and ultimately it ended up being the first hole which was a big hole and and we created the big shelf and the bunkers in the middle and and you know it works out really well it's it's intimidating for a lot of for a lot of people they're the first thing and they see wow that's my drive but um, but I think it plays it actually plays really well and it doesn't play as difficult if you if you don't get too aggressive with it if you're just like an average player you know if you just hit a regular drive and hit it up there you have a decent chance and the and the, the green is is in a you know a nice little sheltered uh, bowl there you can play shots off of the right side and um, so there's opportunity there you know to, to start out well but you can screw it up well too i did that the other day that's uh that's the beauty of golf is you know i think you put yourself out there and you give people the opportunity to screw up uh because i I, we do that we do that pretty easily we're golfers (laughs) yeah something i always it, it, it bugs me when i see trees in front of hazard like trees in front of bunkers is on like a short par five is you know, let give people the opportunity to hit themselves and get themselves into that 40 yard away bunker and have that shot because you know being in there and two and making a six is like the most frustrating thing if you if you're if you have trees people are probably just going to lay up and hit their wedge up there and it, it kind of removes the interest right right um so i, I think something that uh from your website that I found interesting was it kind of how you, your philosophy on, on adding difficulty for the, you know, the, the really good player and especially combating technology um, and with the modern game and how it, how it's growing. Like what are your philosophies in terms of marrying playability with a a unique challenge and, and interest for the, you know, scratch player? Well, first of all, I think you have to give them options. Um, if you give a really good golfer only one option, they they commit 100% to that and and they make that shot because they're good. They're really good. So if you give them three options, 
all of a sudden there's a little bit of doubt. You know, if I can get 10 or 15 percent of doubt in the good golfer's mind, they may don't maybe they don't fully commit to that shot, and then they have a tendency to make an error. You know, and then it sort of compounds itself. Um, the technology's out of control, so we won't get into that. But you know, it's hard to it's it's hard to design for that. But I think if you give people options and you give them variety and diversity, then for the better player, that's more decisions and more complexity, and that gives them um, a little bit of doubt, and that I think makes it more fun ultimately um, or more challenging. And for a guy that, you know, all he ever does is just bomb a driver and grab a wedge and hit it, which is kind of what the PGA Tour has become just because of how technology is, um, you know, that's not really exciting golf, particularly for the average golfer. And so if you can build in variety and interest and diversity and options, then the average guy who can't depend on hitting it 180 or 220 or how many yards, you know, they're capable of hitting it. They, you know, they get themselves into positions and then they have to assess. And if you have a narrow fairway with lots of long rough, you know, they have one option. They just whack it out. But if they have, if they spray the ball, but they get themselves in a bad angle and, and there's a bunker kind of in their way and they're not really sure, then the average player that thinks about it but can um, execute a shot to get into a position that maybe gives him a better opportunity um, and he and he does that, then they get a little charged. They get they get energized about it, and it's like, wow, I did that. That was cool. So that, that's achievement in itself, mm-hmm. but it also makes it more interesting and, and more exciting for, for every level of player to be able to do something. I, I think it's almost like you give the average player, they could be, as as long as there aren't like trees in their way or they're in really, really long rough, it's, they feel like they have this, they have this illusion of, hey, I can hit this shot. Um, if right. they have a clear shot to the green, you know, there might be a bunker in the way, they might have the worst angle to a green that runs away, but they feel like they have a chance versus, right. you know, a ball rolling into the water or rolling into the trees. Sure. I mean, a lot of that, you know, growing up and playing with my grandfather and towards the end of his life, he, he, he wasn't hitting the driver. He'd hit his three wood. I don't know why he ever put it back in the bag. Cause you know, he hit the three wood at least twice on every hole. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and, you know, he, you know, in a long, in a long hole, he'd hit three of those and, and some sort of chip and run up there in a putt for five most of the time. Um, and I, of course would hit it a lot further than he, but I'd be, in the weeds or something, you know, when I was a kid and, and I'm out there scrambling and trying to get back and crisscrossing all over the place. And, you know, I'd make bogey, I'd make double bogey and he'd make bogey and, you know, when we move on to the next hole, mm-hmm. <laughs> both guys are crafty. <laughs> exactly. It's how much, um, as an architect, how interesting, how much goes into watching, you know, when you play golf, say with like a wide range of players, how much do you watch the way different players play golf courses and think about that when you're designing a course? I think about it a lot. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy playing with a wide variety of players too. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten 
better over time, probably just because I manage my game better or whatever and mm-hmm. don't get into trouble as much and don't hit it as far as I used to. But um, um, I, it's to me it's interesting to do that, and I'm always interested in in any any other golfer's you know opinion of what I've built or what they just played and why. And, and because every golfer has an opinion, we all know that. Um, and, you know, they may not be looking at what I'm looking at. And so I can learn from that. I guess I look at that way. So for instance, uh, 15 years ago or so, uh, Pilgrim's run had been open for you know a couple of years and my aunt and uncle and cousin who had all played golf, you know, uh, more than they were playing at that time. And this is my uncle that used to be a scratch player. And, and my aunt had, was a decent player at the time. And I used to play golf with her when I was little too. Uh, but she hadn't really played much in, you know, a while. And my cousin had, had played some, but not much recently. So we went out to Pilgrim's Run and, you know, we had a really good time. And my uncle, you know, his game started, you know, coming alive and, and he really enjoyed, you know, a couple, he's like, Oh, I got to try that shot again. You know, that was really cool. So that was exciting. But at the end I asked my aunt, I said, you know, what did you like? And she said, Oh, you don't want to know what I know, what I think. And I said, yeah, I do because everybody's looking at something different. She said, well, I just like being out there and seeing Turkey and deer. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't anything about the golf. She just liked the, the experience of being out in nature and, you know, having a good time with family. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so that's, that's entirely valid. Uh, that may, you know, that may not help me as far as, you know, how to build a golf hole, but um, that's important too. You know, it's, that it's perspective, that, that fuller, yeah, that fuller golf experience is important to a lot of a lot of players. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I yeah, it's it's perspective because it, you get wrapped up. Like I'm a huge golf nerd. I, I deep into pretty much every aspect of the game except for equipment and. But I, you know, it's always so important to keep the perspective of what the casual golfer is out there to do. And especially, you know, the one that might only play two, three rounds a year or, you know, a round a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So you've done a pretty extensive um, uh, restoration work. And uh, you've also, you also obviously grew up at, at Crystal Downs. I'd love to talk a little bit about golden age architecture and the influences you've had and kind of who you've, who you've taken away uh, a lot of, you know, inspiration from. I imagine Mackenzie is a, is a huge influence, but curious if, if there are any, any others. Well, Mackenzie and Maxwell, mm-hmm. you know, certainly first off, because, you know, growing up at Crystal Downs and working there and spending thousands of days on the golf course there, um, their impact is really, you know, it's been most influential. Uh, but all of those, you know, whether it's Tillinghast, Ross, Rainer and McDonald stuff, um, uh, George Thomas, you know, Harry Cole, Tom Simpson, all of those guys did stuff and did stuff at a high level. And you can learn from any of those. So when you're working on a, on a project and you're, you're sort of part archaeologist and and trying to figure it out and fix you know maybe some structural problems or something that was changed because of something out of the club's control or the original designer's control. A lot of times that um, leads to you know a better understanding of that project or 
for that designer. So to me, that's always really fun and exciting. And um, it's more, more interesting to see what they did with, with say limited. I mean, they moved a lot of dirt in some cases, you know, McDonald was really good at that. You know, if he wanted something, he would move the end of the world to to do that, whether that was Lido, Um, you know, they, they moved a lot of dirt at the national too. So, um, um, that sort of stuff, um, wasn't, um, unheard of, but it was unusual at that time, I guess, you know, guys were trying to find ways of building and working within the landscape. And I think that's some of the stuff that, whether you want to call it minimalism or whatever, you know, that's, that's what's driving, um, a lot of the work that I do. And I think that's, what's driving, um, a lot of the stuff that, uh, that Tom Doak and Bill Hans and Bill Tour and Ben Crenshaw are doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, working with that land and finding out how to do that and finding a way that a property has interest and uniqueness and all of that, that stuff ends up being uh, something that, that can be really, really um, good golf mm-hmm. and, and unique golf, not necessarily having to manufacture something all the time, just try and get the best out of, what that piece of ground offers you. And I, I think given the economic state and what happened in the, in the eighties, nineties and early two thousands, it, it makes most sense economically. Uh, certainly it does. <laughs> uh, economics is always a factor. So, um, yeah, trying to do that and, and being efficient with things and, you know, that works, that works at any any time in history, really, you know, mm-hmm. even if, even if things are flush, you know, why do, why do more than you have to, uh, to create something? So, um, maybe, maybe to, you know, have a bigger story or something, but, um, I, I don't think that's necessary to create good golf. Yeah. So for, for say a beginner architecture fan, you know, somebody who's just getting into it, um, and they go play, a, a a golden age course or or one of your courses or uh, a Tom Doak design or a Corin Crenshaw what are what is something that they can look for around the golf course like you know something to start to take in when they play new golf courses or even playing their own golf course well I think um, for me one of the things that one of the things that's a, a big difference for me is you know, is how is the rhythm and flow of the golf course. So how do you transition? And we talked a little bit about that, you know, and trying to figure out the, the routing at Kingsley and stuff earlier, but any golf course, that's for me, that's really, really important. And part of that is um, because I think that that transition, if you get off the green and you, and you just roll right into the next tee in a, in a short and simple sort of fashion. And then all of a sudden, next hole is presented to you in, in a good in a good way uh then you know that each hole leads to each other and that transition even if you don't have oceanside or you know some spectacular feature on the property you've got a solid really good golf course that ties together there's a lot of there's a lot of donald ross golf courses that you know were built in cities or you know on sort of undescript land that um that work well in, in that fashion and that flow together well and so um 
I think if you think about that, think about, wow, you know, I got off that, you know, it wasn't a very big transition to the next tee and the next, the next tee presented the next hole to me in a, in a really good way. I kind of, I knew what I wanted to do. It gave me, a, it gave me options. It gave me a, a good idea of where I should play and how that constantly works throughout the round. Um, you can kind of think of it as, you know, the old guys, everybody was walking. They didn't have golf carts then. So maybe part of that, you know, why there's better flow um, and rhythm to those golf courses had to do with, you know, they, they weren't thinking about, okay, I'm, you know, I got golf carts, I got a cart path, I have this, I, you know, and that's sort of an element of today's golf. But can you make the golf course walkable too? Because that's really the way the game started. And, you know, if you're, there are people that are hardcore walkers and I walk, you know, most of the time when I play. Yeah. Uh, but that is a, um, you know, that's sort of a, the pace of the game. Pace of the game is kind of a human uh, scaled, human paced game. So, and if you're, you know, on, you know, this nice little stroll and you have to be playing golf and it just sort of comes in. But if you've got a bunch of long transitions because you're going through a housing development or something, not that, those don't have their place. They do, but um, how can you how can you minimize those types of things mm-hmm. and make it uh, flow better? Make it make it you know something that someone could walk. So like Gray Walls up in Marquette, pretty severe site and everything. And and the first tee is three quarters of a mile from the clubhouse because the clubhouse is part of the um, the uh, original golf course complex. Uh, so they shuttle if you're going to walk, which the golf course is walkable, but they they drive you out in the you know the limo cart and pick you up after 18. But the golf course actually does work fairly well for most of the part. There are some tougher transitions because of elevation, but um, the golf course is is really a pleasant walk and and gets down and flows together, which is cool. Yeah, it's a it's a place I've been dying to get to. I, I this summer was just a walk. Next summer, I think I'm going to have to get up there. Um, do you, how do you go about it? Something I pay attention to a lot is, is the variety within the course, whether it be, you know, the par threes having different, you know, different lengths, different shots, different looks, but then also like within the course, you know, how am I, am I being asked to hit, you know, draws on multiple holes in a row or, or is there a good blend of, of fade holes and draw holes? How, you know, it, Within that, how much do you guys think about that when you're designing? Uh, I think, you, well, I think you think about it quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think you try and force it either. Yeah. Uh, you know, the best thing is, you know, does this hole fit in here? Yeah, it does. And what's the next hole do? It fits there. So you have three holes in a row where you have to hit, you know, the Nicholas Power fade. Okay, great. Um, that may be the way that it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, the, the sequencing is and how they transition is maybe more important. Um, but length, you, you do want to have variety within, um, whether you're just thinking about the par threes, uh, the short fours, the medium fours, long fours, the par fives. So you want variety within those each of those subsections, but um, you also want to have them feel like you know they work together on the golf course. And um, I think that's one of the things when you talk about rhythm and flow, excuse me, I think you, I think you have to look at um, sections of the golf course 
might be more difficult just because of the terrain that they're on or what, what it lends itself to. And you may have some other parts of the golf course that maybe are, you know, appear to be easier, but you might not necessarily score well there either, too. So that's part of the, you know, kind of that rhythm of the golf course and, and that round. And you can use that to your advantage. So you can have, you know, really, really tough sections of holes um, right together. And that, that could be threes, fours, and fives together, or it could be, you know, two long fours or whatever. Um, those types of things can help, um, you know, give identity or, or something to a golf course. So think about you know, Augusta National and Amen Corner. So, you know, the 11th, you know, is a demanding, uh, you know, long four uh, with water next to the green. And then you've got, you know, this short little pitch shot that just seems to kill everybody's round. And then you've got this really wonderful short, short, short five that provides all different kinds of options and things to you. So um, a lot of variety in there and definition. And, you know, I'd say 12 and 13 are two of the great holes in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, that helps. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, you can, you can think about that in other ways also. So, um, you know, Kingsley, I mean, we have a big five that opens up and, you know, a tricky little, um, you know, demanding, second hole and then you've got a couple of par fours that have this sort of tumble bumble so it's not necessarily an easy start but if you you know if you do you know uh make a couple pars you know right off the bat and then you know um you get you know three pars and a bogey or something in the first four holes you know you've had a really good start and you know so things can things can turn up and you know sometimes you don't start well. You know, you might get a double bogey and a bogey in the first two holes. I've done that before, and I've, you know, I've shot 37 or 38 on the front. So, um, you know, I, then at the rest of the nine, I, you know, I did pretty well. So, mm-hmm. um, you you have opportunities to gain or or lose within that, and um, so I think I'm thinking about that a lot, but I'm also trying to provide not necessarily. I guess my philosophy is. Um, you like to give someone, it might not be an overt, you know, draw or fade shot into something, uh, but a certain pin location or from this side of the fairway or that side of the fairway might, that might be a better shot, but that might depend on the player too. Some player might, might not like that and might want to try something. You know, if someone's constantly a fader of the ball, you know, they may want to be in a certain position to try something else. Yeah. Um, then you might, then some other player might. So you got to give them an opportunity to do that. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's one of the most important things, too, is, you know, I think there can be a preferred shot shape, but I, I don't like when a design dictates that you have to hit this shot because then, you know, the majority of golfers just, you, you, can't, you might not be able to hit that shot in your SOL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to get into some uh, listener questions. We got a, a ton of them, um, and um, I think your most acclaimed course, and we haven't even touched on it, is uh, is Cape Wickham down in um, Australia on, on Kings Island or Tas- Tasmania. Um, and uh, I wanted to. It, we had Simon asked uh, about the project, uh, kind of. What are you most proud of of that design? But then also, what did you learn from it? And if you would change anything, what would you change? 
Well, it's uh, it's a challenge because King Island is remote, mm-hmm. but it's really quite accessible. It's only a 40-minute flight from Melbourne. So um, so as far away as it is, you can really get there, and it's, it's close to a lot of people. Uh, not necessarily for Americans, but for Australians. <laughs> um, uh, it's a it's a very windy site in the middle of the Bass Strait, so it's ex- and it's exposed right on the ocean. And really, you know, we had to create a lot of width just to accommodate that. And you know, knowing that it's it's still quite playable. Uh, I've played it in close to a gale force wind, and you know, really only lost one ball. Uh, and that's because it rolled off of the 18th green, and I didn't want to go down the bank and try and find it. I think, you know, it was you were able to, if you, if you didn't try and aggressively attack things, um, you had an opportunity to play a shot, you know, and keep it low and, and along the ground and stuff like that. So that was, I think that's turned out really, really well, and I'm really excited about that. Um, the hardest challenge there, I think, is that it's so dramatic it's the properties. It's the most diverse property I've ever seen. It's the most amazing site I've ever seen for a golf course because uh, you're right on the ocean, and you have clifftop holes. You have holes that are in dunes with just really unbelievable movement to them. You have holes that are right down on the ocean level. Uh, the eleventh hole is basically in the ocean. Um, you've got holes that. Uh, go inland. You've got a, you've got a you know a headland that you start out on, and you finish on this sandy cove beach. The beach is in play, you know, on this on this uh, idyllic sort of lagoon. So you know, think of the blue lagoon and you know in the movies and things like that. I mean, it's just an unbelievable spot. And then the kicker is you've got um, one of the tallest lighthouses in the world. Um, Cape Wickham Lighthouse, which was built in 1861, and is 157 feet tall. So um, it's super dramatic, and and that could be really overwhelming. And the golf had to be really, really good to, um, you know, not just have. Is the first thing people do is they get there and they and they go, oh, you know, in, insert expletive. Uh, so it's incredible, <laughs> you know that reaction as good as the pictures are of it you go there it's even that much more dramatic and so um with that over with that sort of spectacle overwhelm the design um but people are they're talking about the golf holes and this shot and that shot or whatever and so um you know that's really exciting I, I imagine with uh, the holes being so exposed, you have to be really careful on greens, um, especially with, you know, the way people like to get modern green speeds up. Uh, yeah, and we, I mean, we were very cognizant of that. So the greens, um, for the most part, are not, you know, super mm-hmm. undulating. I mean, there's, there's contour on them, but it's also, they're all fescue. So they're not going to run as fast uh, on a daily basis as, say, a bent grass green is going to or the greens that are in in the Melbourne area, mm-hmm. whether that's Royal Melbourne or Metropolitan or Victoria or any of those courses. So um, so it's a little bit different there, but the, the greens roll through. They're firm. Um, and the benefit of that also is that with, those, you know, with all fescue everywhere, 
um, the ground game and true links golf really comes to life because when the wind's up, you got to keep that ball down and you've got to have an opportunity to play a little bump and run shots, um, to get them in there. And then if, you know, if your ball rolls off, um, it's not, uh, it's not an overly bunkered golf course. We don't, we didn't really need that from a, we didn't really need that from a, from a strategy, um, or a, you know, just a visual aspect. There's enough visual going on there. So, you know, the bunkers are really set up for challenging golfers to hit, hit certain shots or to skirt them, you know, to get in a better advantage. But um, there's a lot of short grass around greens. So if you miss a, if you miss a target, you have opportunities to, you know, bump and run the, on the ground, and that fescue really, really works well for that. So, um, and I think that was, that's one of the things that's really neat about the golf course. Yeah, I I got to get out to Australia. I um I might spend like a month there. There's just so much down there and so I, especially with the, you know, um all the new development that's happening down there and obviously looking at photos of Cape Wickham it, it makes you feel like you need to go sooner than later. Absolutely. <laughs> go right. Uh, isn't that where you're going on your honeymoon? <laughs> I wish I'm I'm going to St. Lucia, which I didn't think was uh, had any golf, but then I I found that there is a golf course, so I might have to have to check it out, get some rental clubs. <laughs> I'm sure it's uh it's got some uh, some shrunk greens and some uh, overgrown fairways is is what I'll get. Well, I guess it'll happen, but it, there it might be a pretty good golf course. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's. Um... You know, King Island is um, is amazing. You know, it's a part of the state of Tasmania, which is a state of Australia and all this. They call it the island state. And, you know, King Island is just a smaller aspect of that. And halfway between Victoria and the main island of Tasmania. So um, King Island is, is, a, is just an amazing place. You know, it's sort of a throwback in time. Um, the people there are phenomenal. The dairy industry and you know the beef and dairy industry is a big factor um the seafood and um it's just a really fun comfortable place to you know place to be mm-hmm. um people are fantastic and relaxed and and um you know we loved it it was, it was great family experience because i had the opportunity to bring my family over there uh and they were they were there for my daughter was there for a couple months but my wife and son were there for six months during the project and stuff too. So it was, it was really neat. Yeah. This it sounds awesome. It's gotta be cool to get to bring your family to a place like that. Um, we got a question from uh, double J here and I think it was, uh, it's a good one given your, your background with, uh, with uh, crystal downs and familiarity with Perry Maxwell. If Perry Maxwell was based in Chicago or New York would he be considered a top five architect? Um, he says rarely mentioned, but his courses flow are terrific. Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think the the problem with you know Perry's the time period that he worked, you know, was primarily the Depression, mm-hmm. where there wasn't much stuff going on. So I think Perry's, you know, lack of say public adoration really has to do with the time period that he worked in 
um, versus the work that he did because his work is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prairie Dunes is is unbelievable, and all the courses that he touched on too, that he did little bits and pieces to. He did a lot of the original little tucks and you know nips to uh, Augusta National, and so a lot of his stuff is still out there. Uh, and people just don't recognize it. Um, certainly, you know, being based in Oklahoma um, wasn't to his advantage. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think it's, you know, it's his recognition from a, a, in the public aspect, I think, has more to do with his time period than it does with his location. Because um, he did get around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about Harry Colt, you know, here in the States, Harry Colt doesn't really get a lot of uh, exposure, but you know, he was in London and he's influenced a lot of guys in the business and did a lot of amazing work, but he's not really recognized here in the U S like, you know, Alistair's recognized, you know, cause we talk about it at Augusta every year. Um, and, uh, Cypress point, obviously in Royal Melbourne. So, um, you know, very high profile golf courses that, um, old term, <coughs> excuse, <coughs> excuse me, high-profile golf courses that hold tournaments um, or have held tournaments, like Cypress Point was involved with the, you know, when Bing Crosby had the, had the climb out yeah. for a year. So, and, um, and it's, you know, it's still just, you know, it's, it's a legendary place. Mm-hmm. So I think he may, he may, but uh, I think it's more of the time period. That's, it's a good point. I, it, it, the Great Depression really, I feel like, was a, was a was one of the worst things that happened to golf course architecture because the whole development, the philosophy almost took a hard shift because there was such a dead period in design and, and new philosophies came out of, you know, when people people almost just started fresh and it was like a whole new thing when, when golf courses started to be built again. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, hard. It's definitely difficult. But there was some great stuff that was done during that time, too. So, um, you know, for instance, Prairie Dunes, you know, the, that first nine holes there. Lawsonia Links course in, in uh, North Wisconsin, an amazing place. Under, totally underrated, I think. Oh, uh, so course, underrated. Beth, Beth, yeah, the Beth Page courses. Um, you know, so there was, there was still some good stuff done. You touched on Langford earlier. He's got to be one of the more underappreciated architects of all time. Uh, incredible work. Uh, he certainly doesn't doesn't get his stuff. Just isn't as you know well known. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things he did because he was basically uh, in the Midwest here. He did um, a lot of courses. For instance, like the old course at, up at Marquette Golf Club where he designed 18 holes, but they only built nine. Yeah. Because uh, that's all board at the time. It was a smaller town or something. And then, you know, the other nine holes got built by somebody else later down the road. And, you know, those are, it's really evident. Um, what are the better golf holes when you play those, play those courses? It's mm-hmm. Langford's. They're, they're, they're not just, um, you know, a step above, they're leaps above um, the other holes on the, on the golf course. And, um, so it's like, incredible. it's like Culver is a nine hole course in Indiana, but it was the original plan was for 27 there. And you, you think about what he would, you know, nine hole course is just, 
they're tough because they don't get as much acclaim, but I mean, building a great nine holes, you, you wonder what it would have been if it was all 27. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so we do a we do a thing. You, you said very underrated. We one of our uh, shticks here is over. We have questions overrated, underrated, and we'll we'll kind of splice splice those in because we got some some regular questions and some overrated, underrated. And with the overrated, underrated, just say, hey, is this overrated or underrated? Um, but um, the uh, template idea of template holes, and this is from Marquette Golf Club. Uh, overrated, underrated. Yeah. Overrated for the most part, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I'm, I'm a template hole guy, but I, I like to see fresh twists on them now in modern architecture. Absolutely, and that does make it that does make it better that way. Um, you need to get that, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, here's a here's one from Connor Doherty. Uh, which iconic golf hole would you like to see changes made to? Anywhere. Uh, well, that's um, they're iconic golf holes for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. Why would we? Why would we want to change them? <laughs> um, I guess the way to um, the way to think about that would be that we should probably change one that had been changed for some other reason, yep. and change it back to what it was originally. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I was thinking along those lines. Yeah. 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 It, his second half of the question is is almost a direct. Uh, he almost leads you right into that. And and with the with the USAM this week uh, in mind, he he says overrated, underrated the tenth hole at Riviera. Underrated, way underrated. underrated. Oh man, it's one of the greatest. It's one of the greatest holes in the world. It's uh, it's unbelievable that it's way underrated. But it, I mean, it fits exactly what you're talking about with all the options and. How it makes uh, makes the great player think, but for for the everyday player, it's it's uh, you know it's a short par four. It's achievable, and mm-hmm. that's 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 why it is so great and it's so phenomenal. And 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 pros, it should be an easy hole for them, and they somehow manage to screw it up all the time, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I um, I played there uh, last summer. And, you know, I had obviously watched the telecast so many times and, and uh, everybody's like, you just can't hit it in that right bunker. You can't, you have to aim left. You have to aim left. And sure enough, yep. I get on the tee, I pull out driver and I'm like, oh, I should just aim at the left side of the green, not left of the green. And I, I, hit, my dr- I hit my driver a little right and I end up in the bunker and, and I hit the best bunker shot of my life, like the best bunker shot of my life. And I, I yell up like, "Where did that end up?" They're like, "Oh, over the green." It's just like, oh. <laughs> so sorry, too bad. Yeah, it's, it's uh, and then I, you know, I, I had to make a, a really good up and down just to make four. It's just it, it, it puts so much stress on you, and as a, as a, as a scratch player, but um, it, it's so, it's, it's so just right there for the for like if my dad who's like a 16 handicap played it i don't think he'd think twice about it yeah yeah um, yeah that, that's um it's just an it's an unbelievable golf hole um 
and it's, it's you know that's it's probably the best you know short par four in the world i mean just with regards to that um you know there was a question there about best drivable part so that's probably it um but um you know in, in general i think like having a quote drivable uh par four might be it's, it depends on which way you're looking at it but you know those could those could be kind of underrated in a lot of in a lot of regards because people think oh it's just too easy but if it's if it's really well done um you know it's 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 one of the more fun holes on the, on the golf course and that's really the separation of you know the great short fours are the separation of the great great golf holes of the great golf courses excuse me mm-hmm. um in the world yeah it's um I, the short par fours obviously had like just a huge resurgence um i think one of the things that the short par four and the the reachable par five has done is they they've diminished the the skill uh, of building a great long par five or a long par four what are kind of your philosophies around doing those i think those are kind of now the the hardest holes to build and uh have people say wow that was a great hole well for the the high level player, you can't build a long par five. I mean, there's 650 yard par fives in the U S open and the guys are hitting six irons into them. So yeah. what, what, so what's a, what, what's a long par five, 855 yards. I don't know. It's true. Um, that, you know, I, that, that just is, seems crazy to me. So, um, I think it, it has more to do with, you know, how something fits into the land and, and making guys make shots. Um, and I don't know that for, you know, for that, that high level player, the pros, I don't know that there's any par five that we have in the world that, that is a true three shot hole anymore. 20 years ago, that was true. Um, there were some holes like that, but that just doesn't happen anymore. I think, um, with the technology, it's, um, yeah. They get to like a wet, like now a, a really like a good three shot hole isn't a good three shot hole because like they hit driver, they lay up to a wedge and it's just a wedge in. Yeah. 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 It's, it's unfortunate for the, for the, for the average guy though, for the regular club player and even, you know, even the good club player, um, you know, three shot holes are, are demanding. And, you know, the, the really good ones demand three good shots. So, you know, you have to hit a decent drive to get into position to, you know, have a good second shot, whether you can get, get home in two um, or, um, you know, your third shot's got to be, you know, something reasonable so you get it close. And you can do that with, with tough green design, you know, and make things more difficult that way. But it, you got to have options for that also. Um so I think that's um, that's fun. The 14th at, at Kingsley is a is a par five, and you know it's it can play short depending on where you hit your drive because there's kind of a power slot. If you hit it over the bunkers, you, your ball can carry and it can run quite a ways. And so you know even an average hitter on occasion has times where he can get to get home into or get really close to the green, you know, which is which is kind of cool. Um, but it it's a demanding green and, you know, it's a demanding shot to get in there. And the third shot is fun, even if you're laying up and, and, and playing off to the side. So that type of stuff is, you know, I think is, 
fun and successful uh, being able to do that. That's, uh, that's, uh, it's, it's, that's, I guess, yeah, it's, it is, it's tough. I, I think that's a, it's just, I think uh, long par fours and long par fives are now underrated in my mind, but, uh, yeah. because of like the resurgence of the, the short par four and short par five, I think it, you know, demanding holes they are, they have like a little bit less interest, but they're, they're so good when they're really good. Um, like, you know, you look at the road hole. Um, so, uh, how do uh, so Micah Iration has a couple questions, um, the first one is very, very open-ended. Uh, what makes a good golf hole in your mind? Um, well, it's something that responds to what that particular piece of ground has. So, and it, and it involves having um, something that's sort of unique within that, the scope of that, whatever that environment is there. And it makes a golfer think about, do I want to try this or that, or should I, you know, blow it over that bunker? Or it it forces a golfer to make decisions. Um, sometimes that decision might be rudimentary, but that rudimentary decision might lead to a more difficult decision, you know, further down the golf hole. Um, so I think, you know, making the golfer think about what he wants or wants to try to do i think is really good and important and um and you've got to have a good green complex because you know if you have you know an awesome hole all the way up to the green then you have this dead flat green with you know nothing really going on around it um that's not real fun for a lot of people because they that um that might be the only thing um that some that some golfers have they don't have length they can't overpower a golf hole but they can hit a precise little wedge shot or something um like we were talking about you know my grandfather and the other old guys you know a while back you know they 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 dink it along dink it along dink it along get it up there close and make a putt make a five and um you know occasionally they get one better than than not and you know and make a make a four out of it or something on a, you know like what would be a like you're saying a long par four you know they would have to treat as a three-shot hole mm-hmm. so um you know if they make that that last good shot and they make a four that's like making a birdie at you know a third place because they're already giving up a shot with the distance mm-hmm. um or if you miss you know around a green a good green complex gives you options whether that's you know short grass to bump and run it flop it chip it putt it um, whatever, um, or does it give you a counter bank, um, uh, or, you know, some sort of shelf or ridge to, to play off of, you know, to get the ball close to the hole. So that's interesting. And I think those things make a good golf hole. Um, but they also, a good, a, a good golf hole or a great golf hole is made better when it transitions from the previous hole and the next hole and all that, you know, in isolation, it loses it loses some of its impact i think it might make it appear better than it is but you know if you have a great golf hole within a really good routing um that's really what you're trying to do that's a, that's a great answer it's i i love the you know force somebody to make a decision that could have different kind of repercussions later in the hole i, I that's so good um 
So, uh, Micah also has a question about the Meadow Club, and he wants to know, how, how does Meadow Club compare to other McKenzie designs, and where does it rank within Northern California's great golf courses? Uh, you might Meadow have a Club. little bit of biased answer. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Meadow is a special place. Um, the first course that McKenzie did in North America or really in the Western Hemisphere. So, um, you know, it, it, it does hold a special spot in, in history with regards to that. And uh, it is a, a phenomenal spot in the world. It's surrounded by uh, the Marin Municipal Water District, which is protected land and will never be developed. So you can't see a domicile from the property. And that's never going to change. So it's, you know, it's a half an hour from the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's, I don't know, 5 million people in the metro area there. But you can't see a house. That's pretty cool. That's um, awesome. It is, it's a great walk. Um, it's a wonderful golf course to play every day um, where, you know, the average guy can get around and can, you know, have good days and bad days. Um and really good players can score well, but they're also going to have their, their troublesome days too. Um, the green complexes are really phenomenal. And it's as pure a restoration as, um, as anything out there um, because of well, the soil structure and how it was done in the original construction. When we, when we peeled sod back, we could see exactly where the, green, um, the greens mix was because it had been screened better and there was finer didn't have these little small stones that the regular soil had so we were able to be really really accurate with with all that um as an everyday golf course i think it's you know it's right up there with everything it's you know is it as good as cypress point pebble beach san francisco golf club no but um you know i would i would easily put it in the top 10 if not um you know a little bit higher Mm-hmm. Um, that props to tempo, you know, you might say it's a little bit tougher. It has some more dramatic holes to it, um, things like that. Um, but it's got to be really close, right behind that. Cal Club's, you know, very good. Um, but uh, and every day, you know, I'm probably biased. I'd rather play the Metal Club every day than mm-hmm. than, than Cal Club, or Pasa for that matter. I think. That's, I mean, that's the big thing of it. it. I always think the best way to rate courses isn't like, you know, if you could go play one place one day, one day but it's how you how you split up 10 rounds against two courses because, you know, it, it'd be, it's, it, you know, there are a lot of great golf courses that you want to play and you play once and it's like, okay, I played it. But like the course that makes you want to just keep back, coming back and playing over and over again are, in my mind, the really great ones. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, you've got Olympic, you got the lake and the ocean course there too. And, you know, there's incredible history there also. Um, they got a, that's, some interesting that's really new demanding. bunkers. That's really demanding every day. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw some really pic- demanding. <laughs> I saw some pictures of the bunkers and they just, they look like, it looks like it got just more and more demanding where you got bunkers that are, twice the height of uh, people and they're so steep um yeah i haven't seen them um in person yet so yeah i'll just i'll have to re- reserve judgment until i do that i've only seen <laughs> the photos of people in them and it's uh 
and then I, I had a member that reached out to me about it, and, I, and it doesn't. Do, he didn't sound very happy about it, but because uh, <laughs> um, one in the bunker, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's uh, whatever. It's hard golf. Um, so Buck Walter, and this is a great question: Northern Michigan golf, underrated or very underrated? Because it's. Uh, <laughs> And uh, just to tack on to that, what's, uh, you know, what's kind of one hidden gem up in northern Michigan that everybody should try and see that's a public course? Well, uh, Belvedere is not completely public. It's semi-private, mm-hmm. uh, but you can get on there. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a wonderful William Watson design from the mid-20s. And it's just super, super fun to play and some great golf holes there. Uh, old time kind of golf, uh, really good green contours. Uh, Bruce Hepner's uh, done some green reclamation there recently, um, and you know, so it's it's going to get even better when they do when they do that kind of stuff. So um, to me, that's just a, it's a really special place. It's always fun to play. They have a hickory tournament there every June. Um, which is very well attended, one of the one of the more popular hickory events in the country, and well deserving of that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's the same course that uh, Tom Doak said was one of the hidden gems of America. So people got to get out there. That's right, got to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I yeah, I think I got it. I mean, I'm doing a a northern Michigan trip uh, this fall. I'm going to go up there. I was supposed to. I was supposed to go this this week but i just am too busy um uh this is a great question from alistair phillip what's the most fulfilling part of being an architect uh hearing somebody say that they they had you know really they had fun playing playing your golf course um all right tried this shot tried that shot that's like the highest compliment anybody can give me Mm um for me it's you know I mean, just from the personal aspect, it's the creation process and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together and then, you know, create something that people want to come and play and, and experience. And, uh, and that's, that's really fun. That's and then, cool. you know, and the post, the post part of it is, you know, going back and playing stuff that you built, whether that was last week or, you know, last year or, 15 years ago that's kind of fun to do that mm-hmm. i bet i it's something I, I played a new course the other day and i was i was a little disappointed in it and you know i felt the full brunt of what you guys probably feel is that the finality of design like once it's done it's done for a while yeah yeah it's got to be the yeah. t- I, tough part i don't have you know really regrets on stuff that i did because things happen for um, you know, things happen and materialize for a reason during projects. So, you know, if someone's real critical of a project, they probably don't understand, you know, this factor or that factor or whatever was involved in, in that project. And that's, um, you have to be there to do that. So mm-hmm. you make those decisions in those, in with the information that you have. And there's, there's not really a lot of stuff that I'm, you know, would, would want to you know just run right back and change that just yeah. that just doesn't it doesn't happen because I, I spend a lot of time on sites trying trying to do that yeah that's, that, that factor 
Yeah, that's the, there's always, with everything, there's always underlying things that happen. You know, every, any, almost every situation, nobody knows the full scope of it. Um, all right, we, you've been more than generous with your time here. Let's see, we got three quick overrated, underrated. You ready? Yep. All right, trees. Overrated. Uh, crown greens. Underrated. I love crown greens. Um, and buy holes. Uh, overrated. Overrated. I, I think I would have agreed with all three of those. Uh, <laughs> well, they weren't so tough then. No, okay. no, they, I, I liked them though. They were all they were all from uh, listeners. So um, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, Mike's got a lot of uh, public access courses. If uh, if somebody was gonna just you know strive to play one of your golf courses. Which is the one you'd want them to see? Well, Cape Wickham, of course. But yeah. that's, a, that's a pretty big journey. So um, the easiest way, you know, particularly for public access golf courses, uh, Grand Rapids, uh, the Mines Golf Course is really right downtown, um, you know, inexpensive and a great play. It's hard. It's a difficult, it's a difficult course. Um, Pilgrim's Run is a half an hour north of Grand Rapids. And uh, is beautiful and really well done. Um, they take care of you. They have excellent service there. All the courses do, but they, they especially like, you know, roll out the red carpet people. Uh, and Diamond Springs, which is about a half an hour southwest of Grand Rapids, um, is a is a wonderful golf course too. That's that's very inexpensive and a very interesting play from the standpoint that it's um, it's one cut of grass and then just um, green height. No way. And then, you know, and then outer stuff. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's very minimal maintenance, but it's, it's extraordinarily playable and fun and has a, has a gorge that goes through it. That's really, really cool. And you know what? Those are all on the way up to Northern Michigan. It's uh it's, it's a very, yeah, a very easy thing. You could fly into Grand Rapids and stay downtown go to the brew pubs, and, you know, play golf, play golf during the day. Yeah, and they're yeah all affordable too, which is the other great thing. Yeah, so. very affordable. So, uh, Mike, we'll have to have you on again, and uh, thanks so much for uh, for the time, and uh, we look forward to seeing what's next. Thanks, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, and uh, look look forward to another time. Yeah, thank you.